Why can't you be more like Mandy Pegg? She likes foosball, baseball, she likes to cook. She's just like a wife, but fun. <laughs> so marry her. <laughs> How about it, Mandy? Me and you in Vegas, a honeymoon at football fantasy camp. Sounds fun, Al, but uh, I'm involved. Yeah. Who's the lucky guy? Barbara. <laughs> Barbara? Well, that sounds like he might be a little light in the loafers, huh? Well, actually, she's a little heavy in the construction boots. She? Yes, Al. I'm gay. Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a woman? No Man Presents, live from the Nudie Bar, the Married with Children Podcast. Welcome back to the Married with Children Podcast. This is Luigi. Hey guys, I think we haven't been paying much attention to Luigi lately. Who's Luigi? Hey Luigi, how have you been? I heard that you've been depressed. I'm fine now, Chris. It's a good thing the doctor took me off those uppers. Yesterday I was chasing cars and passing them. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Stefan, and I'd rather be on a desert island with you two, but the whole time I'd be thinking of Phyllis Diller. <laughs> all right so welcome back to the married with children podcast everyone today we are reviewing season 11 episode 21 les be friends original air date april 28 1997 marcy wants the bundies to stay indoors because her quote identical cousin mandy is coming over for a visit and marcy does not want her to be repulsed by them mandy's flight however is early and she takes a cab since the Darcys are at the airport waiting for her, she comes to the Bundys. This leads to Manding spending the day out with Alan Jefferson. Suddenly, Peg and Marcy find themselves jealous. Director, Jerry Cohen. Writer, Pamela Ells. Special guest stars, Amanda Burse as Mandy. Elaine Hendricks as Elaine. And Lucky the Dog as Lucky the Dog. Monday, Fox is smoking. See eye-popping special effects like in the movie The Mask when the Bundys go to hell. You'll never see your family again. This is heaven. Then, I'm gay. Look who else is coming out of the closet. I think you're gorgeous. Don't be a stranger. A full hour of back-to-back -back Married with Children episodes Monday on Fox. The title for this episode, Les Be Friends, refers to Les for Lesbians Be Friends from the phrase Let's Be Friends. And this was a nod to Amanda Burse, who was one of the first celebrities to come out as gay in the early 1990s. So welcome back, everyone. Welcome back, Stefan. Yeah, I'm glad to be back, and especially with this episode. Yeah. So uh, maybe you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, why you're on this specific episode. Yeah, well, you know, as a proud card-carrying member of the LGBTQ plus community, um, this was... Um, a natural fit for me I was on the uh, calendar girl episode with both of you two. And um, hopefully I offered some good insight with uh, the episode and kind of the themes that it dealt with. And 
I want to with this one too. I don't know if y'all are aware, this episode aired only two days before the famous puppy episode of Ellen DeGeneres' sitcom where she came out of the closet, her character did. Yep, that's actually yeah. one of the things we wanted to talk about. So go mm-hmm. ahead. Yeah, just it aired, uh, right, uh, I, I don't know, sorry, but which one do you want to talk about? Yeah, no, I mean, we could just talk about the historiosity of the episode. There was, uh, obviously, like as you said, the Ellen episode is very, very famous. And um, and that and Ellen, if I'm not mistaken, was on NBC. Um, was it NBC or CBS? Uh, CBS. Uh, no, actually, excuse me, it was ABC. Yeah, I was going to say it was not NBC. So um, there was a lot of hype on that episode, if, mm-hmm. I, if I remember going back to 1997. Yep. So... This episode, in terms of uh, production order, this was uh, supposed to be, um, actually, this was the, let me see if uh, I get this right with uh, Annabelle. (laughs) This was the 22nd episode that was produced. And it looks like Married with Children sort of capitalized on sort of what was going on. It's like, well, if on ABC, Ellen was going to come out, they were going to also have this episode um, and I, I wonder, like, if I guess maybe the, the word had gotten out in Hollywood it was going to happen. Yeah, I, I was just thinking, how would they know that? Because it's a different network. <laughs> yeah, it, it did. It did. There was, with the episode of Ellen, it did. It was, rumors started flying, like, a year beforehand that they were going to do this. Because Ellen, Ellen DeGeneres had not come out yet. And rumors started flying about a year before. And they incorporated references into the fourth season of Ellen kind of alluding to her character coming out and her character not being straight. Right. And this episode was taped on March 14th of 1997. So it aired, I guess like they sort of got figured out when the Ellen episode was going to air. So it just sort of seems that made a natural, it was natural, natural for it to air at the time that it aired. Uh, Mm -hmm. The other thing about this particular episode is that it also aired the same night as Damn Bundy's, uh, which uh, Steven Tyler and you, there was something to be said about it, sort of like an hour of Married with Children. And in general, you know, in Married with Children history, usually when they had an hour long special, it would be like a two-parter. Right. So it would be like, you know, something like, Maybe like the first two parts of, uh, well, for example, the, the It's a Bundiful Life, for example, was a two-parter that aired, you know, back-to-back. Uh, but this was, and Breaking Up is Easy to Do in this past season, the first two parts aired as a one-hour special. So it's just interesting mm-hmm. that Lesby Friends and Dan Bundy's uh, aired as one-hour special, and they're sort of disjointed. One of the other things I'll say is, of all the episodes of season 11, this is probably the most grounded of all of them. In season 11, Chris, uh, you and I keep talking about how cartoonish it is. Right. You know, like, right. I, I agree. I agree 100%. In Twisted, for example, it's like we have the whole Wizard of Oz thing. It's like uh, Al gets right. sucked up. The Requiem for a Chevy weight, almost to the point of it being absurd. Yeah. But but of of the episodes, probably I'm going to say episodes 19 and 20. So Birthday Boy Toy and Lesby Friends were probably the most grounded that right. you could have probably have put these plots back in season two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like this, this, uh, this, this episode, this theme could actually happen in real life. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. And this one is a little, this one is the only slightly cartoony thing is, you know, Amanda Beers having a double. If you go to the, Bundy Wikipedia page, they had a very interesting observation there. It says that 
as of this episode, all actors who are in the res- regular cast for the entire run of the series have played dual roles within a single episode. Mm-hmm. So Ed O'Neill played his father, uh, as well as Seamus McBundy. But really, it was like with his father, when he played his father, they were both on screen together. And again, and that's back in season three, uh, Desperately Seek in Mexico October. You know, Katie Seagal played Death, but she wasn't on screen sort of like, you know, with Death. Right. Uh, Christina Applegate had her, her next door neighbor who looked like her in the Stepford yep. peg. And then yep. you had uh, David Faustino in Proud to Be Your Bud. My comment, uh, you know, uh, Chris and I, before you got on, uh, we sort of talked about this in that this one, even though it's the last one, and this is season 11 in 1997, when you actually had some rudimentary CGI available, <laughs> mm-hmm. it was probably the cheesiest uh, in my opinion, of all, in terms of like how the, you know, having like that green screen, I don't know exactly how they did it from a production standpoint. I thought it looked pretty good. I'd say like when you can sort of tell it's not Amanda, like when you're showing the back of the other person who's, yeah. playing, who's yeah. playing her body double and yeah. sort of like the um, uh, the back and forth that they did with uh, like Al and Jefferson uh, sort of kicking, you know, moving the T-shirt around. Like it just didn't seem natural, and like I feel like it could have been done better, at least just from production uh, standpoint. The other thing about this episode is that because of all the technical aspects of the episode, there was no studio audience, so they actually used the laugh track. Mm-hmm. I could sort of, you know, tell that, but this is the, but I think the Ellen DeGeneres piece was really like what. One of the things that drove this. But on the other hand, Amanda Burse, who was interviewed on this podcast, if uh, any of you are interested, uh, that was be- way back in season two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was back in 2017 uh, with Alex, Jerry, and JP. She was probably the first major star in Hollywood to come out. And uh, that was back in 93. Mm-hmm. So already, you know, this is old news. So they did a good job, I think, of incorporating this. I think my issue with the episode is I didn't feel that the writing was snappy enough. Right. Right. That That's my criticism of yeah. it. I guess before we get further along, interestingly also about this episode and, and Stefan, I'd like to know your opinion on this married with children generally never really tried to teach a moral almost, if not all of the plot lines of all these episodes really were just more for entertainment purposes. But one of the things that Steven and Tyler said is that that episode that, you know, where Jefferson turns 40 and he's concerned about aging, it was a very human sentiment. And like they sort of handled it more like a traditional sitcom, Mm -hmm. like that they actually did moralize and teach a lesson. And they did the same exact thing here where, you know, I really think that they humanized the person and they didn't go, um, you know, the Mandy character. They abandoned the sitcom tropes that had been used around gay people and really humanized her and made her more of a person. And, yeah. you know, even though it makes a good, I mean, it makes for a good story, it doesn't necessarily make for good comedy when the writing isn't that good. And that's sort of mm-hmm. my criticism of the episode overall. But I wanted to know your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm inclined to agree with that. I um, I would say that the the only really offensive things, you know, were not with Mandy or anything with her character, but, you know, out of Al's mouth. And even then with Al, you know, he, he even, you could tell he was just joking at most of it. Like the, like the line he says where it's like, um, 
where it's okay for two women to be together as long as someone's watching. Right. Based on his reaction and Mandy's reaction, you could tell like she knew he was kidding and he was, and he went to be kidding. And, you know, as we've said in, you know, the episode where Al, where Peg was like going out to dance with right. the, the, with da- the dance show. Yeah, Correct. Yeah, yes. Um, oh, oh um, no, you, you're talking about, um, I mean, no, no, not, not Alan Thicke. Not, no, no. The, the, the guy, the guy from uh, Christmas Vacation. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous. Correct. Yes. Anyways, Al Bundy is a lot of things, but he is generally not homophobic. He might like not understand it, but he's not like a gay basher. I totally agree. I, I thought that, um, <clears throat> and, and I'll, I'll kind of agree with what both of you guys have said so far. I actually enjoy this episode. I feel like it's pretty strong mm-hmm. for, for by season eleven standards, at least. I thought the idea and the the, the um, plot was was very good. Just the writing was kind of weak, which is typical for season eleven. <laughs> Certainly cheesy and corny, but I like how they they used uh, they sort of used Al as I guess you could say the stereotypical person that doesn't know anything about gay people or mm-hmm. or it seems like he's never met a gay person before per se, you know. Uh, like right. his his comment uh, when she said, "Is it okay if I crash on the couch?" And he says, "Well, sure. You're not going to turn it gay, are you?" <laughs> you know, which obviously he meant as a joke, uh, or like Stefan said. But uh, you know, there's something to be said there because there's a lot of people that think that. Well, you're you're not going to turn my couch gay, are you? You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I, you know, and and I and I get that, and especially you know you have to take it in the context of its time. I mean, this sure. was revolutionary in 1997. I mean, no, we're I'm talking cool. 20 25 years ago. Yeah. You know, I mean, and these those types of jokes now, I mean, as a society, I feel like we've we've progressed in leaps and bounds since then. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not to say that there aren't people out there that still uh, have maybe have prejudices or they continue to uh, promote some of the stereotypes. And I think and we'll get into it as we analyze the the dialogue and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and the episode. I would actually say I would say in some ways the I, I thought the dance show was more progressive and i mean considering like the time that that aired like that was 91 wasn't that 90 or 91 yeah that was uh season five yeah yeah i thought it was no excuse me was was that five or or the end of four it was 91 i believe that was five that was season five okay Okay. it was because remember it was early it was whenever uh marcy was single uh right right before jefferson came on yeah yeah, yeah. in season five. Yeah, like I thought that, you know, and to have to have a same-sex couple identify as married before it was legal anywhere in the modern world was, I thought, a pretty big deal for the time. And, you know, uh, Stefan, I remember when we discussed this earlier, I mean, in your opinion, the only thing offensive of that episode was just the last line. Yeah, and, and, even, and even then, that was, even then, it was kind of like, okay, like, you know, you expect that from Alan again, 1991, that was like about, that was like the best you could expect. And again, like, I think, as you said, like, you know, in terms of his character, maybe not necessarily understanding it, but to me, the comedic genius, I mean, and to me, like I've ranked that episode like up there, like that is like mm-hmm. a, like a superstar episode. I mean, the comedic genius of writing the Pete character as pretty much a heterosexual female played by a male, yep. right? I mean, like, like, I mean, the delivery between the two of them, like, yep. I mean, like that, that was, yeah. that to me is, that's what makes that a five. And this episode to me is not a five. 
and again, I mean, I mean, and the other thing I'll just say is like as a formula, I mean, my my problem with it is it does do a little bit more moralization mm-hmm. than a typical married with children episode, and like I said, it's just that I feel like you could have done it, but I but the writing itself wasn't snappy. And Chris, I'm always going to quote you on this because uh, you said it best since uh, since we started doing this in season eight, right? You know, yeah. uh, good acting cannot uh, sub- be a substitute for bad writing. Right, yeah. No, no mm-hmm. amount of great acting can make up for poor writing. <laughs> oh, so, so, so many. I could list so many movies that are that way. I call them gre- or, uh, great concept, poor execution right. is what I call that. And I would say the offensive things from the, on the show, like on this show that could be offensive is, you know, stuff, like I said, that, you know, Al, Al says, and a lot of that I feel like is more to not humiliate the gay characters or, you know, the, the, the trans characters, the case in calendar girl, but to poke fun at arc at the leads, you know, that, you know, you were, used you know and you you know you have egg on your face basically right. you know or you're, or you're homophobic disgusting trash right it's kind of what it is and, th- and that's very different yeah no and I, I agree with that i mean one other comment before we get underway is by this point in uh, their working relationship you know based on the interviews that we've seen uh based on the interview that this podcast had with amanda beers the relationship between Amanda Bierce and Ed O'Neill was not very good. No. I have to commend them because this is one of those episodes when like they actually have a lot of interaction, whether it's it's Al with Marcy or Al with Mandy. So they had to really collaborate and appear to be friends. And yeah. if you think about it, Al and the characters of Al and Marcy have had very few times throughout the whole run of the series when they actually like commiserate with each other. I think like one of my favorite ones is uh, the famous Sabasco uh, episode, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, which uh, bar, da- yeah. which uh, Dan Chase really enjoyed, right? Yeah. Uh, like when they're actually like, you know, talking about, you know, and they're actually at the same level. And yeah. this is one of those episodes. So, I mean, kudos to them for like yeah. whatever was going on personally with them. They did a great performance. And that right. I can't take away from that. Like they did a great performance. They did a great job with the material given them. I, I, I just wish they had better material. But go ahead, Stefan. <laughs> I feel like that, you know, after Jefferson was introduced, you know, and he was like the he, he was he was Marcy's peg, essentially, that she and Al were able to relate to each other a bit better, you know, being the, the sole breadwinners in their households. So I, I feel like maybe they did kind of subliminally bond a little bit over that. Their characters did. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Oh, wholeheartedly. Ed O'Neill and Amanda Bierce were always professionals. You know, I, I'll tell you, I uh, the show's been off the air for, what, 25 years now, roughly? Yep. Yep. I, um, I never knew that there was an issue between the two until probably five, ten years ago. You know, and it was... It was news to me when I heard it. So they, they, whatever was going on between the two of them personally, they always put it aside and, and were professionals when it came time to put out the product. So <laughs> I commend them for that. It's probably because they were able, they were able to let out steam by like, you know, the jabs at each other's characters. Yeah. That, you know, that may absolutely have something to do with it. <laughs> whatever they did, it worked out. 
Yeah, and you know, and I think that just goes to the a point of you know, a good actor is a good actor. I mean, it's make believe. Right. And you know, one comment I'll make, uh, you, you know, I, I mean, we're married with children fanatics. You know, I've been a fanatic, you know, since I first saw this in 1987. But I'd say, you know, since I was a kid till now, it's like I know that it's make believe. You know, like I like the entertainment value of it. You know, sometimes when you're out on the internet and reading people's comments, like sometimes they think it's real. And I know maybe we've we've spoke, Chris, you and I have spoken about this. It's like yeah. Ed O'Neill is not Al Bundy. Katie right. Seagal is not Peggy Bundy. But I think there's enough people out there that like believe that they are their characters. Right. So the fact that, you know, they could convince us that there's somebody else. Right. <laughs> right. They're, they're not who they play. I mean, again, now the kudos goes to them. It's like, okay, on a personal level, if they weren't friends... This is Amanda and Ed. They really did a good job of not letting us aware of that. And the fact that yeah. that came out in interviews years later is interesting. So, yeah, um, like I said, yeah. I would say I feel, I feel like Ed O'Neill kind of got a little has been a little typecast into Al Bundy. Like a lot of the characters he's played since have been more like like Al Bundy esque in some ways. But Katie Seagal, no, has like branched at low like her. Her character in Eight Simple Rules and her character in Sons of Anarchy, totally different from Peg Bundy. Yeah, definitely. Right. And, and, no, and that's a good point. But I think we're going to cover this in our series wrap-up show. Okay. But, um, I mean, like one comment they'll make. About a month ago, there was a football player, Travis Kelsey, right, who scored four touchdowns in, <laughs> in his game. <laughs> yeah. And... Chris was the first one to inform me of this. And this was all over the uh, internet on Twitter for a couple of days. Yeah. And you have like uh, some of these sports talk shows, which I never really tune into. But just the fact that it's like from a pop culture perspective, when they said that, you know, this guy had scored four touchdowns in a single game. Yeah. You know, I mean, you had to be, I mean, you, you literally have to be probably under the age of 20 if you live in the United States and in a lot of parts of the world, if you didn't know what that reference was to. Yeah. And the fact that actually Ed O'Neill went and actually did a video yeah. afterwards <laughs> playing Al Bundy. Yep. You know, and even talking about like, you know, playing in character, like in congratulating him. I mean, it just goes mm -hmm. to show you like, I mean, the power that an actor has and how you identify with a character. So, yep. Kelsey was tweeting about it too, because it turns out he's a he's an Al Bundy fan. <laughs> he's a fan of the show Married with Children, so he was tweeting about it too. So, <laughs> very cool. Yeah, and, and we'll talk about that more. And you know, I think for uh, you know, we will have a, a season wrap up show as always, and then we will have a series wrap up show. And I think you know what we will do is talk about the legacy of the show. So stay tuned to that in the coming weeks. But anyway, in the meantime, let's get underway with this episode. So we begin with a cold opening with Peg on the couch playing cards. Hey, Mom. Hey, guys. I think maybe we haven't been paying enough attention to Lucky. Who's Lucky? <laughs> Any guy who goes out on a date with Kelly? <laughs> Oops. Hasn't anyone else noticed that he seems kind of depressed? Well, what makes you think something like that? <laughs> This is a really short opening scene. Like some of these opening scenes go maybe like a minute and a half. And this, I feel like went like less than 30 seconds. It was short. 
you know, and they're yeah. just talking about how the dog is depressed. I mean, and this is really a setup for later. But uh, what are your thoughts on this? I did not like it. I, I do not like this this B plot. Later on, I mean, we have a, one funny thing that I'll point out. But I mean, it was just like, okay, the dog's depressed, and uh, I mean, they are setting it up. I mean, and they're trying to try, you know, uh, guess go do the gay theme throughout the episode. I mean, once we get mm-hmm. to the punchline, but the setup was too weak. It was a very funny visual. <laughs> oh, the, the 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 dog's head in the oven. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I mean, it was you know, they they needed a B plot. And they decided to go with this, and they wanted to somehow tie it into the main plot, and they decided to make Lucky gay at the end, I guess. <laughs> was that the joke? I don't know. But eh, the B plot was pretty weak. It is what it is. I always forget that Lucky is a boy. I thought Lucky was a girl. Obviously, it's Buck, you know, Buck's spirit in Lucky, but I, I thought Lucky physically was a girl. I guess not. Okay. We get the opening credits, and the first scene of the episode opens again with Peg on the couch. Now, easy, easy. I'm going. I'm... Watch it. We're going to have so much fun with this damn thing, but... <laughs> you nicked the side of the box. You are never going to get that big stupid thing in here. That's what I said when I carried you over the threshold. <laughs> Why the hell is Peg playing solitaire and not watching TV? That was weird. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point I wrote in my notes was the TV like out of commission or something maybe there was cooling down or something like that right yeah <laughs> so Alan Bud bring in a big box that contains a foosball table now this is interesting I mean they, they have no money and it looks right. like it's a new foosball table so sure. how did they cut to you know purchase a foosball table yeah I had that in my notes I'm like where the hell does Alan yeah. have money to <laughs> buy a brand new foosball table and we know he doesn't have any credit or credit card because he can't even get a gas card (laughs) i i i I long i long stopped analyzing this concept from the show like a long 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 time ago way earlier on in the show is their their finances and how they can afford what they do with Al allegedly makes or doesn't make. Right. I, I just, I just shrug my shoulders and go with it by this. Yeah. Point. They, they would all, they would be bankrupt and all living under a bridge based on, based on Al's salary compared to their spending. <laughs> you or know peg I mean? spending, especially. Yeah. Peg spending mostly. But the thing about the foosball table is, you know, did they really need a foosball table? Because I mean, I understand that it's used, I guess, to just show like Al being competitive with the Mandy character, but, it, it's so brief and fleeting. Like you would think maybe there'd be something else that they could have done, you know, that, that would be more in character for the Bundys. Yeah. Because again, I mean, when the episode ends, it's not like there's a foosball table for the next uh, three or four episodes, right? Nope. Nope. <laughs> in, the, in the living room. Uh, Jefferson and Marcy come in. Hi neighbors. Look, we brought you some things to much. Hey, hey, Marcy, I'll kill you for that. <laughs> told you we should have used the feed pool. Well, enjoy. And there's plenty more where that came from. All you have to do is stay inside the entire weekend. Okay? What? Well, uh, my cousin Mandy is coming for a visit. And how can I put this nicely? I don't want her to be repulsed by you. No, not that you're repulsive. <laughs> 
Enough said. Uh, but you know, it's been years since I've seen Mandy, and we were once very close. In fact, we're identical. So she's as obnoxious as you? Identical cousins. There's no such thing. Well, sure there is. Samantha and Serena. Patty and Kathy. Exactly. We walk alike, we talk alike, sometimes we even something alike. So in this scene, I thought what was funny was uh, Jefferson says, I told you we should have used the feed pole. <laughs> like, you know, like they're a bunch of animals. <laughs> <laughs> was there another time where like Marcy did something like that and she was like, I think I lost a finger. <laughs> another episode. I, I feel like it, you know, I guess uh, maybe Annabelle will chime in in the comments with this. Mm-hmm. So the plot of this is that Marcy talks about her cousin coming over. Now, we haven't met, we've met a few of Marcy's relatives. Actually, Amber is the only one that really comes to mind. I mean, we've had references to Marcy's mother, the one with the runny eye. <laughs> <laughs> the 60-year-old who plays the drums. That, that's right. With the, with the single hair. Right. Yep. Uh, uh, with the the runny eye, and we've obviously seen Amber on um, on screen, mm-hmm. uh, played by the lovely Julia Tablack, and you can should all go back and listen to that interview. That's great. Uh, that, that that we did uh, back uh, was it back in 2019, I think. Yeah, at this like point, that. 2019, 2020, yeah, something. That like was that. Uh, season nine. So that's great. So now we get introduced to, I mean, a character named Mandy. I mean, you don't yet see her on screen. They talk about identical cousins. Uh, and Peg makes this comment about Samantha and Serena, Patty and Kathy. So Samantha and Serena are from Bewitched. So Chris, you want to take that? Bewitched is an American television sitcom fantasy series originally broadcast for eight seasons on ABC from September 17th, 1964 to March 25th, 1972. It is about a witch who marries an ordinary mortal man and vows to lead the life of a typical suburban housewife. The show was popular, finishing as the second rated show in America during its debut season and staying in the top 10 for its first three seasons and ranking in 11th place for both seasons four and five. The show continues to be seen throughout the world in syndication and on recorded media. Samantha, played by Elizabeth Montgomery, also played Serena, her twin cousin. Serena has black hair as opposed to blonde and a beauty mark on her cheek that changes location from episode to episode. And the reference to Patty and Kathy refers to the Patty Duke show. So the Patty Duke show is an American sitcom that ran on ABC from September 18, 1963 to April 27, 1966, with reruns airing through August 31st. The show was created as a vehicle for rising star Patty Duke, 105 black and white episodes are produced, 104 of them airing over three seasons. Most episodes are written by either Sidney Sheldon or William Asher, the show's creators. Patty Lane is a normal, chatty, rambunctious teenager living in the Brooklyn Heights section of New York City. Although the setting and characters resemble more simple middle America, her father, Martin Lane, is the managing editor of the New York Daily Chronicle. Patty affectionately addresses him as Popo. Her identical paternal cousin, Kathy Lane, is sophisticated, brainy, and demure, and her father, Kenneth, also played by Schaller, Martin's identical twin brother, also works for the Chronicle as a foreign correspondent. Kathy moves to the United States from Scotland to live with Patty's family and attend Brooklyn Heights High School. 
While both girls are identical in physical appearance, their style, tastes, and attitudes are nearly opposite, which is responsible for some of the comedic situations on the show. Though the character of Kathy received first billing over the character of Patty in the show's opening credits, virtually all episodes center around Patty's misadventures, with Kathy often only playing a minor supporting role. The remarkable physical resemblance that Patty and Kathy share is explained by the fact that their fathers are identical twins. While Patty speaks with a typical American accent, Kathy speaks with what is supposed to be a slight Scottish accent, though, in fact, it has little resemblance to one. Not surprisingly, however, both cousins are able to mimic each other's voice. Patty and Kathy also have an additional identical cousin, the Southern Belle Betsy, featured in the season two episode, The Perfect Hostess. Marcy uses this line of dialogue where she says, we walk alike, we talk alike, sometimes we even something alike. So that's a reference to the theme song to the Patty Duke show. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not familiar with the theme, so I don't know exactly what the word is, but most like it's something that gets screwed up a lot. Yeah, right. We've heard about the Patty Duke show before, referenced in the past, from (laughs) the crown prince of unemployment himself, Charlie Reducci, when he actually says that he could sing the entire uh, theme to the Patty Duke song, and he does the first few lines. You know, Mr. Bundy, if you're really looking for a record, my father knows every oldie ever made. Oh, no, Al, please. If my feelings mean anything to you, you will not invite that man to my home. Go with him. (laughs) Mighty familiar, Al. You came to the right guy. Do you know the song? No. (laughs) But I do know the complete theme to the Patty Duke show. Well, they're cousins, identical cousins all their lives. They walk alike, they talk alike. And why not? They're both Patty Duke. (laughs) (laughs) I'm amazed you're bringing up that episode at all. (laughs) Yeah, well, actually, that is the Mm -hmm Mm-hmm-him episode. Oh, okay. Oh, right, duh, not, yeah. That's not top of the heap. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I was gonna say another re- another show that did the identical cousins was Full House. They had uh, Uncle Jesse's cousin Stavros from Greece, and then Michelle had a cousin that was also supposed to be Greek. She had black hair. I mean, obviously, we know what they did with Michelle. Yeah, just another another addendum. By the way, just in case anyone's wondering, when, when they were talking about identical cousins, there. I thought to myself, that sounds like BS. It's not possible. But it actually is possible. And I was looking up here. It says, if both sets of parents are genetically identical, there is a theoretical chance that both baby cousins could be identical too. So Mm -hmm. it might be unlikely, but if you had two sets of identical twins who married and had babies, then it's possible that the cousins could be identical too. (laughs) Which which there have been identical twins like, yeah, I think I like in Ripley's Believe It or Not. I really identical cousins. <laughs> identical, yeah, yeah, whatever. I, I don't know about, I don't know that identical cousins were produced, but they they have married before. Yeah. Now, one thing I do want to point out about these two shows, Samantha and Serena Bewitched. So, uh, actually, Elizabeth Montgomery uh, was a gay icon, as I recall. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was very much for gay rights back in the 60s and 70s. So uh, I know she passed away a while back. Bewitched was one of those TV shows that was on in syndication uh, during my childhood in the 80s. So I'm very familiar with that show. I, I'm too on a, from Nick at Night in the 90s. They had it all the time. Yeah. However, Patty Duke, which was a much earlier show, 
again, ran from 63 to 66. I do not recall seeing it in syndication during the 80s, so I'm not familiar with it. Me neither. Some factoids for you. Bewitched, the whole show was very much like filled with gay icons, like Andorra was a, was a big gay icon, her character. And then the first, the, the second uh, D- uh, Dick Sargent or whatever, or the, 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 the second, no, not, no. Uh, the second Darren. Darren, Darren, sorry. Yeah, the second one ended up coming out of the closet. Yeah, and what about the uncle? You remember the uncle was also... I never saw the uncle. Uncle Arthur, that's it. Oh, I've, I've heard of him, yeah. The uncle on Bewitch, Uncle Arthur, he was played by Paul Lind. Yes, I have seen this character. Yep, I'm familiar with Paul Lind. I don't know if Paul Lind ever officially came out of the closet, but he... Or like, at least by the time he died, but. Says here on Wikipedia, despite his campy and flamboyant television persona, Lynn's private life and sexual orientation were not directly acknowledged or discussed on television or in other media during his lifetime. Uh, He died at the age of 55 in uh, 1982. And, you know, that was very typical of Hollywood actors and actresses. Uh, It really, again, not until Mm -hmm. the 90s that people came, quote unquote, out of the closet. So it's very possible that it was just something that was kept kept secret, I'm going to say, right? Oh, yeah. A friend friend of Dorothy was the code. Friend of Dorothy. Yeah. Oh, that uh, for Over the Rainbow? Yep. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. All right. Okay. So um, I think that's probably part of the tie-in to this. You know, again, because I feel like there's always a double entendre in Married with Children. The mm-hmm. writers probably always go to some... Uh, you know, some reference. So there's another one out there exactly like you? Well, not exactly. I am a little prettier. She's the pretty one. Imagine what the cousin looks like. Did she have Brandy in here? Watch it now. Watch it now. Watch it. He, takes, he shoots. He scores! I win again! Relax, Dad. It's just foosball. Just foosball, son! This is the greatest invention ever made. Edward Foos was a boy with a dream. A dream to invent a game that everyone can enjoy no matter how out of shape or drunk you are. The boy's not right, Peg. I knew that the day we dropped him on his head and he didn't scream. Now, Al makes a reference to the inventor of Foosball. And uh, a note here from Annabelle, it's not Edward Foos. Inventor of foosball, not Edward Foos, but perhaps not known, due to the game's nature being similarly close to football, which is the most common sport all across Europe, the invention of foosball can't be pinpointed to a location. Instead, it is safe to say that it was invented in different parts of Europe simultaneously, and the record books seem to prove just that. Although it's not specified in history of foosball regarding who invented foosball, It is safe to say that foosball originated from Europe from 1921 to 1937. Many claim to be the inventor of the game, but the official patent went to Harold Searles Thornton. Some people claim that the game was initially invented in the 1930s by a Frenchman named Lucien Rosengart, famous for his invention of the minicar, seatbelt, etc. He wanted to create a board game for his children to play during the cold winter, and the idea of it coming to him by looking at matches in his matchbox. He called the game Babyfoot. Some sources claim that that around Rosengart, a Spanish Civil War victim, Alexander de 
Finisterre invented the game around the same time. It is said that he founded the game to tackle his boredom in hospital confinement. He named the game Footballin. He would later go on to apply for official patent in 1937. Interesting. This is going to tie into our guest star and a role that she was in in a certain movie that I love. Speaking of not knowing the inventor of something, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> now the doorbell rings and Al goes to answer the door. Hi, I'm... Nice Peg. wig, Mars. Hey, Peg, look here. The fifth beetle. <laughs> I'm not Marcy. I'm Mandy, Marcy's cousin. Wow. You and Marcy really do look alike. You think so? You know, I know I'm no supermodel, but I never really thought I looked like a chicken. <laughs> I like her. Uh, Marcy and Jefferson went to meet you at the airport. Oh, well, my flight was early, so I took a cab. You mind if I wait here? No, not at all. Not at all. Of course, uh, here in the Windy City, it's customary to tip people who let you into their home. You must be Al. Sadly, he must. We see Mandy, and Mandy is Marcy, Amanda Burse, with a black wig and wearing much cooler clothes than what Amanda usually wears unmarried with children. And Al says that, uh, says to Peg that uh, this is the fifth Beatle. <laughs> so... Uh, this is like a little bit of a his, you know, historic reference. Like there were a lot of people out uh, in the world who were known as the fifth Beatle. Mm-hmm. And if you remember in season seven, episode nine, Rock of Ages, somebody asked Al if he was the fifth monkey. <laughs> so I mean, it's just really like somebody who's associated with the act who is just like another character. So I just thought that was interesting. Right. Right. I, I will say with um, Amanda Beers here, as Mandy did a great job. Like she, her voice was different. It was a little lower. Yes. Yeah. She did a great job at that. And, you know, it's also funny how the Mandy character makes fun of Marcy. Yeah. You know, cause she says, you know, if you really do look alike, she says, you know, I'm no, she says, I'm no supermodel, but I never thought I'd look like a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> That's in that Al immediately. You could tell us like, we're going to get along just fine. <laughs> right. Hey, foosball. You any good? Is your cousin flat-chested? <laughs> oh, score! <laughs> I'm ahead. Lucky shot! It was a lucky shot! Uh, now can I play? Not now, Pet. Score! <laughs> I win! Uh, Mandy's heard of Al, and they become fast friends. And I guess, you know, again, the foosball table becomes the vehicle so that they can stay in the living room and have fun. But, like, again, it just seems, like, out of character. Like, it could have been darts, right? Mm-hmm. It could have been something else, but um, again, so they have this foosball table. Marcy and Jefferson come in. You couldn't find my cousin at... <gasps> Mandy! Marcy! <laughs> you look great! So do you! What are you doing here? Uh, uh, we didn't go out, she came in. Which reminds me, we're... We're out of onion dip. Mandy, this is my Jefferson. Don't you wish you had one just like him? You mean there's another one of him, too? Wow, you're even better looking than Marcy said. 
Oh, so are you. <laughs> Honey, why did you say you were the pretty one? Come on, now we're right in the middle of a game. Marcy, if you guys are identical, how come she has... Implants. Really? Mm. Not that I like big, luscious breasts. They just get in the way. Now, I mean, in terms of the special effects, I'd say, like, the fact that Marcy and Mandy, like, cross their arms, like, are in the same stance, like, that's, I mean, <laughs> that's the special effects. Sure. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess this is like what you call like laying the foundation. It's like now they're just saying, it's like, yeah, we have a Mandy and we have a Marcy and they're identical cousins. And they're just trying to show us as the audience that we have two people, you know, the same person playing two roles. There's not much to say here. Yeah, I mean, for its time. And like you said earlier, this is the at, at this point, CGI was in its infancy. <laughs> so. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I they it, it may look corny by today's standards, but it was pretty good for 1997, I suppose. I thought it was fine. Yeah, yeah. And this the whole double, double like one actor playing two characters is another thing I we will get into when discussing our guest star. That's probably you probably know what I'm talking about. Yep. Well, yeah. I mean, the 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 one joke in this whole segment here is uh, about the breast implants. Yeah. Jefferson seems very intrigued. <laughs> I, I had in my notes, I forgot to mention how it's interesting how Jefferson said, I wonder if I have a, like when he mentioned alluding to him having a double, you remember that when he, he mentioned yep. that? And I wrote in here, you do in some universe, you have a, a double with last name Jablonski. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. Well, in the next scene, we cut to Kelly and Bud in the backyard with a hyperactive Lucky. Those pills the vet gave Lucky really have pepped him up. <laughs> Don't you think that he's a little bit too hyper? Nah. Nah. Fine. Hey, he's burying a bone. You know, we should give some of those pills to Mom. I did. And I think she got off the couch. Now, Chris, when I saw this scene... I thought of you because, you know, you've always talked about how much you love the dummies on Married with Children. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we've had dummies for mm -hmm. Al. We've right. had dummies for Bud. We've had dummies for the No Man guys. And actually, <laughs> Lucky gets his own dummy. Yeah. You know, I don't know what it is, but it didn't hit the same way. <laughs> you know, no. I mean, I, I it always... looked fake. <laughs> yeah. It looked fake. I mean, I don't know what it is. The, the, the dummies always look... I mean, we always know that the dummies are fake. Like, you know it's not actually Al being thrown off of a roof or mm -hmm. Griff being thrown off of a roof or what have you. But I don't know. It just didn't hit the same. Maybe because, I, it, truthfully, I've never really liked Lucky. <laughs> I miss Buck. But uh, that's a whole different story to begin with. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just didn't hit the same this time. Yeah, I'm, I mean, and Buck the dog um, would actually be dead within a month of, of airing of this episode. Oh, that's, 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 that's a shame. Right when the show actually ended. Correct. Funny enough, yeah. I remember it was the day of my high school senior prom when Buck the dog died. Oh, wow. <laughs> Before we close the scene out, I thought mm. the, the funniest piece of dialogue to me there was when 
Kelly says that she gave some of the uppers to Peg. And why do you, how do you think she got off the couch? <laughs> you, you know, uh, I mean, because it's like they depict Peg to be like this couch potato who never leaves the couch. But I mean, here she is like a slender, sexy woman, right? Right. <laughs> but you, you know what I mean? It's like, and you know, when we spoke to Michael Moy, I mean, as one of the questions that we asked was, it's like, were there some things, ideas that never made it to screen for these characters? And you know, his response was, at least for the Peggy character, was that she was supposed to have been a housefrau, right? You know, in other words, a housewife, like with curlers in her hair and probably wearing a muumuu, like almost what we would expect Peg's mother to look like. Right. But, you know, Peggy, you know, man, uh, excuse me, Katie Seagal had to play it that it's like, well, she has the characteristics of, of effectively being the one on the couch, but here she is, the sexy woman, mm-hmm. which makes sort of the, the sex jokes funny. Right. Because it, would, it wouldn't be funny if she's just sitting on the couch, right, you know, wearing a muumuu. And that, <laughs> would have been, curlers. that would have been more of what they originally envisioned had Roseanne Barr taken the role of Peg Bundy. Yep. I feel like. So now we have a very interesting scene that comes up where Marcy comes in with a bag of groceries and she walks over the kitchen table where Peg is sitting. So this is why Peg is not is not is in the chair and not on the couch. Hey, hi, hi, Peggy. I got your bonbons. And guess what? I am making Jefferson his favorite supper tonight. Why? Because if a wife doesn't do it, then some other woman might come along and steal him away. Even someone you least expect, you know, like a cousin. <laughs> You know, a cousin that all the boys like best because she's such fun. Boys like Jimmy Miller who show Mandy his baseball cards and play keep away with little Marcy's undershirt. (laughs) Marcy, I'm really worried. Maybe we shouldn't have let Mandy spend the day with Alan Jefferson. Why, Peggy Bundy, if I didn't know better, I'd say you were jealous. (laughs) So she makes a comment about how, you know, she's, I guess, afraid of Mandy stealing away Jefferson. One of my favorite things about Marcy's character are like her her psychotic flashbacks to her youth, <laughs> where she like looks like she's just losing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess the key line here is boys like Jimmy Miller who show Mandy his baseball cards and keep and play keep away with little Marcy's undershirt. <laughs> and we have a reference to the undershirt later. But it was so subtle. Like the thing is, is that like I, I got lost. Like you know, I mean, until I read the script. And uh, for those of you wondering, I'm following Annabelle's script on her website at albundy.net slash married Yeah, that sort of, uh, I mean, it gets lost in the dialogue. So the script is the only thing that really, you know, honed it in for me. Marcy's uh, psychotic flashbacks and her sex monologues, as I call them, <laughs> are the best. <laughs> they're both monologues, I guess. You're right. Actually. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're great. So anyway, so now Al and Mandy enter uh, laughing, and Mandy's carrying a T-shirt. <laughs> what a game! Oh, what was the final score? 37 to 14. That doesn't sound like a baseball score. It's not! That's how many beers and hot dogs we had before we decided to pass Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kidding. Luckily, it was souvenir towel day at the ballpark. Hey, Mars, got you a T-shirt. Keep away! Keep away. <laughs> 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 you ain't no one you're a fan of! Man, 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 
Look what Jefferson gave me. Caught a foul ball. Uh, well, actually, it was a home run ball, but, you know, no big deal. He's been trying to catch one of those his whole life. Excuse me. So we find out that the score of the game was 37 to 14, and it's not a baseball score. And it's, uh, they said, it's how many beers and hot dogs we had before we started to pants Jefferson. <laughs> Jefferson comes in wearing a towel. So what does it mean? They were giving him wedgies? <laughs> what the hell does pants mean? Right. I was like, pants, so they, all right, so down. they gave him wedgies and, and stole his, his pants? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I guess both or whatever. Yeah, and you know, so now they have this shirt, and they keep they start playing this game where they're tossing the shirt around, and you know, this is what I said at the beginning. It's like, all right, well, we you have Amanda on screen as Marcy and Mandy, but the body double piece, I mean, that came out really cheesy. Yeah, and I know you needed that because you know it's it's kind of hard to do that. Like you still need a human being to catch the, right. uh, the towel, right? But that to me was, I mean, what really made it fake to me. And that's one of the things I did not like about this episode. I guess I didn't really pay much attention to Mandy. Because I, I, I will admit, with how big of a bitch Marcy can be sometimes, it's just sometimes nice to see her like struggle like that. <laughs> right. To say. I, was, I was focusing on her totally. And, you know, and here is Mandy playing with the guys. Like, you know, she's hanging out, playing, hanging out with the guys. Mm. And this is, I think, what... Al finds attractive because it's like Al and Peg really don't share any hobbies together. Right. They don't do much, but she's fun. I think that that's, you know, again, it's, it's an attract. It's a trait that attracts people to others, regardless of whether it's like a, a romantic or sexual relationship. Right. I mean, if you have a hobby and somebody else has the same similar hobby as you and you enjoy it, I mean, you bond over it. Yep. You're right. Al, new deal. How would you like a nice, juicy pot roast for supper? Those little potatoes? Biscuits and gravy. What do I got to do? All you have to do is keep Mandy away from Jefferson until she leaves tomorrow. I can do that. Mandy, you want to stay for dinner tonight? <laughs> Jefferson and I need a little alone time. Come on, honey. Wait, you know, I, I think I'll uh, just stay and hang out with Mandy. Ah, or I could come now. <laughs> Now, Marcy asks Al if she can keep Mandy away from Jefferson. So uh, Marcy promises Al food. And it's interesting, he asks for those little potatoes, right? <laughs> like, you know, he loves the tater tots, right? <laughs> weenie tots. <laughs> yeah, no, there's the weenie tots. Those potatoes, yeah. Right. Now, like, remember the, those, those little brown potatoes? Remember, uh, there's the episode when he talks about those little brown potatoes? And that was in The Razor's Edge all the way back in season two. Boy here, I am fighting the good fight. You're right, Steve. Now, Steve, when you get back from this banker thing, I'll still be up. Uh, do you suppose you can make those little brown potatoes? I love those. <laughs> That's right. I love those, right? <laughs> he says. <laughs> hey, Peg, how would you like a pot roast dinner tonight with all the fixings? Ooh, where are we going? The kitchen. I'm not cooking. I'll do it. I love to cook. Why can't you be more like Mandy Peg? She likes foosball, baseball. She likes to cook. She's just like a wife, but fun. So marry her. <laughs> now, Mandy actually offers to cook. You know, because Al says, hey, Peg, would you, how would you like a pot roast dinner tonight with all the fixings, right? And, you know, and Al then says, there's like, why, goes to Peg, why can't you be more like 
like Mandy Peg. She likes foosball, baseball. She likes to cook. She's just like a wife, but fun. Right? <laughs> so again, and that and that's the attraction that Al has to Mandy. Al Bundy being Al Bundy, he's not going to cheat on Peg. It's more of like a buddy or a chum, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Mandy actually throws out a bombshell, and that goes to the crux of the episode. How about it, Mandy? Me and you in Vegas, a honeymoon at football fantasy camp. It sounds fun, Al, but uh, I'm involved. Yeah. Who's the lucky guy? Barbara. <laughs> Barbara? Well, that sounds like he might be a little light in the loafers, huh? Well, actually, she's a little heavy in the construction boots. She? Yes, Al. I'm gay. <laughs> And she says that she's involved. So we find out that the lucky guy that she's involved with is named Barbara. And now begin like some of Al's jokes. And I guess he, I guess he didn't register it at first. Right, Stefan? He says, Barbara, well, that sounds like he might be a little light in the loafers. Mm -hmm. And Mandy says, well, he's actually, she's actually a little heavy in the construction boots. And dum, 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 you know, she's gay. It's the classic, like, and, and so many sitcoms do this where like, the characters like you know just like take way too long to notice that hello i'm gay you know even right. the two days later they did that on the the puppy episode where um ellen met uh, laura dern's character who was was playing a lesbian on the show suffered huge she suffered huge backlash for being on the show didn't get any work for over a year but anyways and so where ellen actually did that where she's like i i don't date men she's like i don't date men what what do you mean I'm gay. And I was like, huh? You know, yeah. Very, very, very common sitcom. Even today you see that, I feel like, sometimes. Like a classic sitcom, it's like, you know, the scene cuts, right? It's like like Al almost like looking at the camera. He's like, what? Like he can't yeah. comprehend like what he's been told. So now we open uh, the second act with uh, Al sitting on the couch and Mandy's in the armchair and Al's questioning her sexual orientation. Gay? <laughs> I can see that you're shocked, Al. Why do you think I went with you to the Jiggly Room? I thought you were being a good sport. Why do you think I was blowing kisses to all the strippers? You're aiming at me and missing? Did any of them kiss back? But not Lola, huh? Of course not. Lola's a guy. Down, <laughs> How did a thing like this happen to you? When did you get stood up for the prom or you went to prison? <laughs> I know. It was summer camp, wasn't it? You sprained a muscle skinny dipping. And the beautiful blonde counselor, let's call her Betty, <laughs> carried you back to her cabin and gave you a massage. And before you knew it, you were a love slave in an all-girl sex cult. Yeah, that's what happened. You saw that in a video, didn't you, Al? Yeah. My favorite. Mine, too. So, you don't um, have a problem with two women being together? No. As long as there's a guy watching. Well, I've told everyone in the family except for Marcy. How do you think she's going to take it? Are you crazy? 
She's done a lot weirder sex stuff than that. Shouldn't be surprised. She used to have to pay boys to kiss her. She still does. <laughs> now, Mandy says, like, why do you think she was blowing kisses to all the strippers? <laughs> I think what's funny is, like, you know, did any of them kiss back? And she, you know, nods. Mm. <laughs> and Tal has a favorite name, Lola. <laughs> and I think the great joke there was like, of course not. Lola's a guy. <laughs> so like that sort of like hit Al. And I think really Mandy was teasing him, right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, a note from Annabelle here. So it sort of reminds her mm-hmm. of Al's experience in Heels on Wheels. God, for once, I'm actually glad to be home. (laughs) A customer comes in the store today, tall, willowy brunette, sits down, says she'd like to try on a pair of size 12 pumps. So I'm down there, you know, just doing my job, and (laughs) notice she's wearing a garter belt like I like. (laughs) And a nice pair of silk stockings. All the time she's smiling at me, all of a sudden, she uncrosses her legs like in basic instinct. You saw it all? Yes. It was a guy! Oh, Peg, I tell you, does this mean that I'm, that I'm, Gay, <laughs> No, Peg, just because I was vaguely excited touching a man's calf and I don't want to sleep with you. No! I have no doubts about my sexuality. No, what I was wondering was, am I too sexy for my own good, Peg? Mm-hmm. I think now, in this particular scene, and this is what you were getting at before, Stefan, we have a little bit of exposition because... I guess to a heterosexual male, you know, he's trying to comprehend, well, how is it that you can be gay? Like, like what made you be gay? Almost as if it's like, Like it's not something you're born with. Right. It's almost like, you know, did you have an experience when you were younger? Which spoiler alert, it is something you're born with. I don't care what anyone says. Right. And and Mm. the thing is, I'm just, what I'm getting to is, I think a lot of people used to think that it would be like, oh, well, you know, maybe you had some kind of an experience, like maybe you were molested or, you know, I mean, in this scene, Al actually depicts uh, what appears to be a porno, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That even Mandy has, uh, has seen, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, so it's almost humanizing him because remember, Al is not like an educated man. No, we know that, but you know, Al is also not a bigot. Right. You know, and, I, and I've said that as I've said that in the past as well. It's like the character, you know, and Michael Moy said that to us in his interview. He said Al is a traditionalist. And, you know, I think that the, the definition of a traditionalist is that he sees the world in his idealized 1950s way where it's like, OK, you know, like what you would see on television. Like, you know, the father comes home in a suit. The, the wife comes over with the pipe and slippers, right? <laughs> Puts it on his feet. She has a pot roast in the oven with mashed potatoes. And you know, all the kids are sitting around the, the table, you know, eating the dinner with a glass of milk. 
And that is to him the way the world should be. And it's not the world of 1997. It's not the world of 1987. It's certainly not the world of 2022. So I felt like this is one of those scenes where it's to the audience, we, the audience viewing, it's like you're trying to humanize Mandy just to explain that. And it's like she has to explain to Al, well, you know, Al, this is just the way I am. It's not like I've, (laughs) this this didn't happen at summer camp one day, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I, I don't know, like, what did, what did you think of the construct, Stefan? Conversations like that always make me uncomfortable. The other side, they like to use that against our community a lot, that, like, it's a choice, you know? I mean, I mean, and the only choice is to be honest and open about who you are. And I, I, like, I like Mandy's comeback where she's like, Al, you know, you're full of crap. You got that from a porno, you know, and, and you know, the, and it's my favorite, too, or whatever. <laughs> it was very, very, very nice and very you know big of her character. I like. Yeah, I mean, I, she's very sympathetic. I mean, she is who she is, and she just wants to have fun, you know, and be who she is. And I think that that's really the point that came across. And again, this is not very typical of married with children. No, I mean, there's some humor in it, but I mean, this to me, it's not the classic of the dance show. You know, again, from a comedy perspective. This seems to be more like a traditional sitcom. So, Al, has your little friend finally gone home, or do you want her to sleep over? Peg, uh, you don't have to worry about Mandy. Why, because you only have eyes for me? No. No, Peg, uh, Mandy's gay. She is? Yes, Peg. I'm surprised you couldn't pick it up. I never miss a thing like that. This is something I could have seen on Mr. Belvedere or Webster, you know, Mm -hmm. at least the way it's constructed. Chris, what do you think? I agree 100 percent. You make a good point that I didn't even think about. Like it it, normally in in a married with children episode, you're not taught a lesson, so to speak. It sort of feels like you are in this one. And also, I feel like, you know, I said in the very beginning that uh, the idea and the the concept of this episode are very good. It's just the delivery is kind of poor with the writing. That's why it doesn't really hold up to, you know, the dance show, for example, which I rated that one a five. You know, that, that episode was a masterpiece. This one was good by season 11 standards, but the the writing fell short a little bit. I think. Yeah, like I said, and the actors, I think, did a a wonderful job with the material they were given. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that, again, that that to me is just my criticism. It's like, I feel like, you know, there could have been some more dialogue that, you know, could have just like, you know, given you a couple of belly laughs, right? But that's what seems to be lacking. Again, I'm, I'm just hearing a message in this. I mean, and it's a good message. I mean, like, don't get me wrong, but it's like, uh, that's not the reason why I watch Married with Children. It's like I want to shut my brain off, right, mm-hmm. and like and be keeled over at the end of the episode when the, the end credits come up, right? Just saying to myself, like, I didn't have as bad a day as Al. And that's really, when we talk about the show in its entirety, for me, I don't know if it's this way for you, Stefan, or, or for you, Chris, but it's like what makes Married with Children special for me is that I could look at a character for a, however good or bad day that I had and I could just say, you know what, <laughs> that character had the worst possible day ever yep. that I could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. 
Michael Moy in the interview said that he says, quote, we would spike the ball. Right? <laughs> and that's really what I want to get out of this. I, I wanted at the end for there to be like a, a spiking of the ball so that I'm again, keeled over laughing. And I just didn't get that here. Again, we're not there yet, but that's my only criticism. But I think it was a, it was a great scene between Amanda and Ed. I mean, hands down. Yes. That's a positive there. All right. So now we get to a new scene. And this scene is Kelly and Bud in the living room. And it looks like they're on the set of Lady and the Tramp. It's a good thing the vet took Lucky off those puppy uppers. Yesterday he was chasing cars and passing them. Well, the vet said that the pills were just masking his pain. I think he's depressed because he's lonely. So I uh, set up this little date for him. Kelly, only an idiot would help a dog to date. I'm Bud. I'll be your waiter this evening. Hey, Elaine. Hey, Frisky. Frisky? That's Lucky. And this is Loser. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Bye, Kelly. So, Frisky and Lucky. Let's hope that also describes their owners. I can't believe you went to so much trouble. I love that you love your dog this much. We want to do whatever it takes to get our furry little friends together. Right. Lucky is really calm, and Kelly has set up a doggy date for Lucky. And in comes Elaine. So, Stefan, you want to tell us about Elaine? Yes. Elaine is played by the, in my opinion, highly, highly underrated. Elaine has appeared on Married with Children before. That's right. Uh, She was in, actually, another episode that Chris and I reviewed. Yeah, where Bud, like, one of the experiment. That was the last episode with uh, the Amber character. Uh Uh-huh. That was um, user-friendly, where she played Sandy. Mm-hmm. So she was dating David Faustino during this time. She has a very, very extensive actress yeah. credit on, on IMDb. Yeah, this woman was a huge part of my childhood. She is most known probably from my generation, and, and Chris, our, I should say our generation, as Meredith Blake in the Parent Trap remake from 1998, the one with Lindsay Lohan. Another, you know, it's funny that she appeared in this episode where it was, you know, a character playing, an actor playing two, you know, identicals, identical characters. Yeah. She was the, the, the villainess of that movie. And Hotshot, in my opinion, the parents in The Parent Trap were way worse than Meredith Blake. Can y'all agree with me? Uh, I can't say I'm familiar with a, a that oh. version of the Parent Trap. Mm. I remember the one from 1961. Well, it's kind of the same thing. How yeah, I, I, I know, but I'm just saying I, yeah. I just don't remember what that character was like. Yeah, she was also in the uh, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion as a character of Lisa Luter. That's a favorite, favorite movie in my family for years. There she played kind of a more straight-laced character who maybe... I don't know if her character was meant to be a lesbian. 
some people thought she might have come off that way, but they never say. And then, and that's the what I meant referenced before about you know inventing something and not knowing the inventor, because in Romy Michelle's high screen they do that with post-its. Yeah, very comically. She was also in Superstar as Evian, a favorite movie. My sister, she and her friends. That, that was uh, Molly Shannon, right? Yes. Yep. She and her, my sister and her friends danced to the song from the one of the, did one of the dance numbers at a school assembly. Anyways, yeah, and uh, Elaine Hendrick, she had t- tons of TV work. She recently played the second, the second incarnation of uh, Alexis in the Dynasty reboot. I don't know anyone who watched this. She was in a movie that I remember as a kid, or not as a kid, but uh, True Loved, another gay-themed independent movie about a, like a high school kid coming out of the closet, and she was like his supportive teacher. Very cool to me. She was in, uh, she provided the voice and kind of body art for one of the recent Resident Evil games for a villain. And you can tell it's her. And I thought that was pretty cool. I literally wrote in my notes. I was thinking to myself, I hate this B plot until Lane Hendricks appeared on screen. I still don't like it, but she made it a little bearable. Well, I, I think she's lovely. Oh, no, she, she's great. The highly underrated actress. And she's carrying a dog named Frisky. <laughs> <laughs> so they have, they have some uh, great uh, you know, banter between Frisky and uh, Lucky, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so Bud turns off the lamp and he presses play on the stereo. We hear a song entitled Puppy Love. It's time for no man to take a little break in the jiggly room. I'm the DJ, and I'm going to play a little bit of music that was on this week's episode of Merry With Children. And they called it puppy love. <laughs> oh, I guess they never know. <laughs> How a young heart Really? <laughs> and Puppy Love was a Paul Anka song. And um, this is probably the last uh, time that you'll hear DJ song on the Married with Children podcast. Because I don't believe there's any other special music until the end of the uh, series. So I think this is it. Mm-hmm. Puppy Love was released in 1960. But we find out there's a little bit of trouble in paradise because Lucky is not interested in Frisky. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll be more gentle. That wasn't me. No, I don't make that noise until later. <laughs> Lucky, be nice. She's company. Your dog doesn't like my dog very much. Sure he does. He's just playing hard to get. Okay, so she's not your type. Can't you just close your eyes and pretend she's Lassie? It's worked for me. I can't believe how rude your dog is. Me neither. I'll have him put to sleep. Well, uh, we'll just play with your dog. a better idea. Why don't you play with yourself? 
<laughs> I thought the funny line there is uh, uh, Lane says to Bud, I can't believe how rude your dog is. This is me neither. I'll have to put him to sleep. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of funny. I laughed at that. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a gallows humor right there. Yep. Uh, so, sorry to all of our pet owners who are fans of the show, but uh, I, I found that funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. <laughs> well, because Bud's got only one thing on his mind. He's a one-trick pony. Right. <laughs> so there's also this reference to Lassie. Lassie is a fictional character created by Eric Knight. She is a female rough collie dog and is featured in a short story that was later expanded to a full-length novel called Lassie Come Home. Knight's portrayal of Lassie bears some features in common with another fictional female collie of the same name, featured in the British writer Elizabeth Gaskell's 1859 short story, The Half-Brothers. In The Half-Brothers, Lassie is loved only by her young master and guides the adults back to where two boys are lost in a snowstorm. Published in 1940, Knight's novel was filmed by MGM in 1943 as Lassie Come Home with a dog named Pal playing Lassie. Pal then appeared with the stage name Lassie in six other MGM feature films through 1951. Pal's owner and trainer, Rudd Weatherwax, then acquired the Lassie name and trademark from MGM and appeared with Pal as Lassie at the rodeo, fairs, and similar events across America in the early 1950s. In 1954, the long-running, Emmy-winning television series Lassie debuted and over the next 19 years, a succession of Pal's descendants appeared on, on the series. The Lassie character has appeared in radio, television, film, toys, comic books, animated series, juvenile novels, and other media. Pal's descendants continue to play Lassie today. Now, one thing I can tell you about Lassie is I remember as a kid in the 1980s, on the independent television stations that were in the area I grew up in, uh, you would see these films. So I've seen a bunch of Lassie films. Again, these are mostly films from the 50s mm-hmm. that were, were like the cheap films that you could watch back then. Yeah. You know, and it, even though like it seems like it's a long time ago, I mean, kids today are watching The Parent Trap from 1998, which is just about the same amount of time <laughs> that's passed, right? Mm-hmm. So right. it just puts things in perspective. But yeah. I want to just really quickly say, you know, a lot of the... Um, the pop culture references, the more obscure ones that I didn't know as a teen. I learned a lot of them from Married with Children. And I would, because my mom loved this show and how I mentioned earlier, how I, I watched it in syndication around 2000 is when I started watching it. And she always loved it. And we would watch it together in the evening. And a lot of times I would ask like her what stuff meant or who this person was. And she would explain it to me. And sometimes it got a little uncomfortable for her, I could tell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, like, I mean, again, even if you remember how television was done back then, I mean, this is something that a kid could theoretically, you know, flip the station on and watch, mm-hmm. right? So um, it was somewhat clean, somewhat, especially the syndicated versions, because the syndicated versions usually cut out the more risque things. Because, you know, when it's running in first run on a Sunday night, you, you expect most kids to be in bed. Mm-hmm. But when it went into syndication, you would do that. I mean, if you get Annabelle on, she probably ran for an hour about, you know, some of these little changes. That I don't done. feel like they cut out a lot in syndication. No, no, not necessarily a lot. But what happened is, you know, in some seasons, uh, particularly I think it's like three, four, and five, there was sometimes some risque dialogue 
or maybe for time reasons. And when they issued the DVD sets, especially the Sony ones, mm. a lot of times it was the syndicated cut. It wasn't the original full cut. Oh. And, you know, and, and Annabelle has made it her mission to make sure that all of those scenes see the light of day again. I believe they did a better job with the Mill Creek edition. So right. um, you guys should check that out. You guys being the audience, if you haven't already. That was our, our B plot. Uh, which uh, we're not too we're not too big fans of, except for the bright shining star of Elaine. And now we go to this third scene of Act Two. And again, look at the theme here. In, in season eleven, we have a lot of scene changes. Chris, we've talked about that in our yep. other episodes. Mm-hmm. It's just constant scene changes. So, third scene of Act Two is the living room's in darkness, and there's a knock on the door, and Al comes down the stairs. <laughs> trying to peg <laughs> well so much for honesty well she kicked you out well not right away first she started screaming and babbling something about an undershirt <laughs> i hate to impose but can i crash on your couch well it depends won't turn it gay will it <laughs> no i don't think so <laughs> just checking well i better get on upstairs uh oh uh I trust you're enough of a lady not to whistle at my tight little behind as I go up the stairs. Al, I told you I'm gay. That may well be, but there are some things no woman can resist. (laughs) So we find out that Mandy's been kicked out. And I think the one key line Mandy says there is like, first she started screaming and babbling something about an undershirt. (laughs) So that's the tie back to uh, when we first find out that Mandy's gay. But I guess that we're still wondering is like, is Marcy anti-gay? I guess that's one of the questions that we're like left with as the audience. I mean, I would say no. I mean, no. Right. But the thing is we find out later when, when Al and Marcy are in the bedroom, but at this point, Oh, is that a rhetorical question? Right. It's more of a rhetorical question. Like, in other words, at this point, all we know is that Marcy threw Mandy out. Right. So the question is, is like, well, why? You know, I mean, is it because she's anti, you know, she's against Mandy being gay or something? So we don't know this yet. I mean, I never got that impression. I mean, even, even at this point, as an audience member, because you mentioned some of that undershirt, it's like, okay, yeah, uh, Marcy is, you know, upset about, it, it, it's rooted in, stuff from her childhood, not Mandy being gay. Right. And, and, and again, I mean, I think we've had enough, enough exposition to sort of get there, but it is a yes. question. Like, you're not really sure 100%. You know, now, like, really, I'd say Al and Mandy have a heart-to-heart. Hey, Mandy, I have a question. Do you just like certain women, or would you sleep with any woman on Earth before you'd sleep with a man? Well, it depends. Give me a for instance. Mm-hmm. For instance, uh... You're on a desert island. Who would you rather be with, me or Cindy Crawford? Cindy. <laughs> me or Phyllis Diller? Phyllis. <laughs> me or Marge Shot? <laughs> you. But the whole time we'd be doing it, I'd be thinking of Phyllis Diller. <laughs> And I guess Al, again, as a traditionalist, he's trying to, you know, wrap his head around, like, well, what makes someone gay? Right. And the thing is, you know, Al, 
See, Jefferson is more kinky when he comes into the scene. But at this point, Al is like, he's, I think, trying to, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not acknowledge. He, he's trying to, like his masculinity, like what is it? Um, assert his masculinity. No, not assert or like like verify like his masculinity. In other words, he's saying it's like, well, you know, would you be interested in me, like me or another woman? Like in other words, all right, yeah. is it me or Cindy, or Cindy Crawford? Right? Let me tell you, homophobia, especially among men, is very much rooted in sexism. And that's that's enough. That's a whole conversation for a whole podcast. I guess what was the word I was looking for? Like in other words, he's trying to like not assert, um, um, reaffirm, affirm, right? Like like affirm his masculinity. Actually, mm-hmm. it's affirming his desirability, and I think yeah. that's what that's what he's trying to get at. So you know, he starts with Cindy, then he moves to Phyllis Diller. Now, mind you, Phyllis Diller, you know, is probably like ninety years old at that point. I mean, she's been dead. <laughs> And then the, she makes makes a, a very obscure reference to a Marge shot. Mm. So anyway, so let's let's take these. Chris, you start with Cindy. Sure. Cindy Crawford is an American model and actress. Her years of success at modeling made her an international celebrity that have led to roles in television and film and work as a spokesperson. During the 1980s and 1990s, Crawford was among the most popular supermodels and a ubiquitous presence on magazine covers, runways, and in fashion campaigns. Phyllis Diller, who, let's see, born 1917, she, she would, have been, would have been 80. Yeah, already. Yep. Phyllis Diller, or almost 80, was an American actress and comedian, best known for her eccentric stage persona, self-depreciating humor, wild hair and clothes, and exaggerated cackling laugh. Diller was one of the first female comics to become a household name. In the U.S., credited as an influence by Joan Rivers, Roseanne Barr, and Ellen DeGeneres, among others. She had a large gay following and is considered a gay icon. She was also one of the first celebrities to openly champion plastic surgery, for which she was recognized by the cosmetic surgery industry. Diller contributed to more than 40 films, beginning with 1961's Splendor in the Grass. She appeared in many television series, featuring in numerous cameos, as well as on her own short-lived sitcom and variety show. Some of her credits include Night Gallery, The Muppet Show, The Love Boat, Sybil, and Boston Legal, plus 11 seasons of The Bold and the Beautiful. Her voice acting roles include The Monster's Wife in Mad Monster Party, The Queen in the Bug's Life, Granny Neutron in The Adventures of Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, and Thelma Griffin in Family Guy. Now... There's also this obscure reference, uh, you know, for, even from the 90s. I had no idea who Marge Schott was. Me neither. Uh, st- st- yeah, Stefan, go ahead and do that one. Do I have to? I'll do Please. that. I don't like her. Anyways, Marge Schott was the managing general partner, president and CEO of Major League Baseball's Cincinnati Reds franchise from 1984 to 1999. She was the second woman to own a North American Major League team without inheriting it. The first being New York Mets founder Joan Whitney Payson. She's perhaps most well known for her controversial behavior during her tenure as owner of the Reds, which included slurs towards African Americans, Jews, and persons of Japanese ancestry. She was banned from managing the team from, from by MLB from 1996 through 1998 due to statements in support of German domestic policies of the Nazi party leader Adolf Hitler. Shortly afterwards, she sold the majority of her share in the team. Yeah, well, that, I guess, was the kiss of death. Yeah. <laughs> I actually do remember her because, uh, you know, being a sports guy, I remember everyone be uh, just the sports world basically celebrating when she died because <laughs> she was mm. such a horrible person. <laughs> I remember when she owned uh, when she owned or I guess was the part owner of the Reds. It was a big deal in the sports world when she died. 
basically. Mm. Uh, anyway, so now we have another scene uh, after Mandy goes to bed on the couch and there's more knocking on the door and Jefferson's there. <laughs> Al, get the door! Yes, my queen! <laughs> Jefferson, what the hell do you want? Place to sleep. Hey, wait a minute. What? What are you two doing down here together in your pajamas? I thought you were uh, gay. I am. Does Peggy know about this? Peggy sent me down here. Oh, you people are sick. <laughs> Yes, we are, Jefferson. Sick enough to turn your head into a gravy boat if you don't get the hell out of here. I can't leave. Marcy's mad at me just because I called out Mandy's name in bed. Excuse me. You know, for a lesbian, you sure spend a lot of time with men. What are you doing here in your pajamas? Oh, I'm sorry, Peggy. Marcy kicked me out and she threw away our ball. This is all your fault. Well, why is it all my fault? It just is. Get I want you to go over to Marcy's and tell her to get her relatives out of my house. Oh, that's a good idea, Peg, because when I see Marcy in her pajamas, I'll have a seizure. And then on my way to the hospital, between the blaring of the sirens and the paramedics yelling clear, maybe then I can get some sleep. <laughs> now, you know, Jefferson is really interested, I guess, I mean... I, I guess he's fantasizing it's a, a, a porno <laughs> with like Mandy, like, you know, in other words, like what is Mandy like willing to do? Right. <laughs> because he's like saying, wait a minute, are you guys together? Or like, or, or um, like, he's, I guess he's imagining like Mandy in bed or something like that. So again, playing to stereotypes of like heterosexual men and like what they think lesbians think or do. I don't know. What are your thoughts on this scene? I mean, it was not very memorable. So that that's sort of... It was very cringy. From, from, a, from a comedy perspective, right? I mean, cringy for other reasons, but it just wasn't... Like, I'm saying, like, it could have been... It could have been, quote, cringy and funny, but in my opinion, it was neither. So why have it, right? <laughs> like, you could have theoretically just cut to Al going over to Marcy's... Um, going over to Jefferson's house to get rid of Mandy. You could have just had that as a scene. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Chris, any thoughts on that? I think it's just playing to the stereotypes. Uh, you have, uh, like you said, uh, for Jefferson, it's like a fantasy. For Al, it's like he he has a hard time understanding, so to speak. <laughs> so that's what they're going for. It, it's, it's, like we've said before, it, it was a good idea and a good concept written uh, the, the writing could have been better anyway so now we have the fifth scene of act two <laughs> and here is marcy's bedroom hate mandy hate mandy hate mandy hate her, hate her, hate her. Marcy! what are you doing up here oh you know me can't keep me out of a shrill woman's bedroom <laughs> go home i'd like to but my living room is full of women, men, and your cousin. Why is that, Marcy? Because I hate Mandy, and I never want to speak to her again. Well, that's understandable. No one should have to speak with family. If I were king, I'd make it a law. 
But you're the tree-hugging bra burner around here. What do you care if she's gay? I don't hate Mandy because she's gay. I hate Mandy because everyone likes her better than me! <laughs> All our lives, Mandy was the talented one. Mandy was the popular one. The, the pretty one? <laughs> she stole all my boyfriends and now I found out she didn't even want them <laughs> why does everyone like her better than me well for starters she never blew her nose in my pajama top <laughs> no I'm not perfect but I do have some good qualities I'm sure if you say so Name one? Oh, geez, I don't know. You, you, you've got a high school diploma? And uh, you never let your eyebrows grow together? Perfect height for a lawn jockey? Wait a minute. I got it. I'll bet you're the reasonable one. Me? Yes! You're big enough and wise enough to sit down with Mandy over here and talk this thing out. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Al. <laughs> I am the reasonable one. <laughs> Al? Yeah? Are we alone together in my bedroom hugging in the middle of the night? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, the first thing I want to say about the bedroom is that this is Marcy's bedroom from way back in the first few seasons of the show. Yes. If you remember when Al goes into Marcy's bedroom for the Barbie episode, like when Jefferson goes and gambles, yeah. the Barbie, like there's actually a window. So he has to like get to climb up the stairs into a window. There's no window in this set. And you would have thought if they had remodeled the home, they would have kept the set from when, uh, I guess that was the episode with Amber. So this was season nine. They would have kept the season nine set. Instead, they went back to an earlier set. So I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? I didn't even notice that. I guess I didn't notice the lack of a window. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, that's what happens when you've watched the show 50 times <laughs> over the right. course of your life, each episode. So again, I'm not as good as Annabelle, but... Uh, um, uh, I'm trying, Annabelle, right? <laughs> it's so funny how, like, back in the day, you know, they, like, the lack of continuity with shows, like how they um, they never anticipated back then that one day people would have all the episodes at their disposal anytime they wanted to watch over and over again and, you know, point and notice all these, you know, continuity errors. So, you know, Marcy's cutting up a bunch of photos. Are we assuming these are photos of her with Mandy? Mm -hmm. And again, now we get the exposition. You know, Al's questioning. It's like, I mean, and actually he's defending Mandy, saying to Marcy, he's like, Why, what do you care if she's gay? Mm -hmm. And then Marcy says, no, it's not that, she, that, that she's gay. It's just like because it's like everyone seems to like her more than, you know, everyone likes Mandy more than they like Marcy. I think really to me the key of why she hates her is – this line where she says she stole all my boyfriends and now I find out she didn't even want them. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's what it is. And it just sounds like there was a lot, lot of competition between the two of them. 
And again, you know, the same way that Al shares a tender moments with Mandy, now Al shares tender moments with Marcy. So I give the actors credit because they weren't on good terms. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not something that we typically see on Married with Children. Right? I mean, you right. would expect like, you know, uh, Marcy try to get like you know, Al's house condemned or something like that, right? I mean, like that's the dynamic. It's not that they mm-hmm. actually share tender moments together. So it just seemed very out of character to me. And of course, uh, they scream when they realize that uh, they're actually hugging each other. Yep. <laughs> in the bedroom. By the way, did I, I put in my notes? Did did Al just walk right up? Did, did Al just walk into their house and walk right up to their bedroom in the middle of the night without knocking or anything? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Jefferson was over there. I mean, he. Yeah. And you know, and but think about it. The Darcys come in through the front door. The Bundys all the time, mm-hmm. right? So I guess maybe that this is the one time Al does the same thing. And you're and you're right. That's probably the first time that he did it in that manner. Like the mm-hmm. only other time he was in that bedroom was um, when he came through the window. I mean, however, if you remember in Nightmare on Al Street, he was in that bedroom, but that was in Marcy's dream. Right. All right. So now we go to the sixth and final scene of Act Two. And believe it or not, we're at the end, where Mandy is saying goodbye to Alan Pegg. See you at the All-Star game. One more game of foosball. <laughs> I'd love to, Al, but Marcy's waiting to take me to the airport. Oh, yes, and we wouldn't want Mandy to miss her plane. (laughs) You know, Peg, I'm really sorry that we didn't get to know one another better. I think I know enough. (laughs) Well, there's one thing you may not know. Oh, really? Yep. I think you're gorgeous. (laughs) Oh, really? Don't be a stranger. (laughs) Remember, she was my friend first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peg, like, tosses Mandy's suitcase out the door, so she's really happy (laughs) that Mandy's leaving. But Mandy drops a bombshell with Peg. And I have to agree, Peg is gorgeous. (laughs) I I loved Peg's reaction to that, and you can tell... She doesn't get told it very often. I thought it was sweet. I agree. Peg looks amazing. <laughs> you know, and Peg went from uh, being excited that Mandy was leaving to, to loving her there <laughs> real quick. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I'm going to throw this question out to you guys, all right? You know, how does it feel when someone tells you that, you, that they find you attractive and they're of this, of, I guess for Chris, for you and myself, it'd be the same gender. And Stefan, for you, from some uh, uh, from someone who's a female, you know, like in other words, like in this case, it's like Peggy, I guess, never gets told it, so she appreciates it. Mm-hmm. So, how would you feel, Chris? I'll start with you. To be honest with you, it doesn't bother me. I, I'm kind of used to it. I, uh, in the industry I work with, uh, mo- most of the men that I work with are gay, so I, I was going to say I get it pretty frequently. It doesn't bother me. I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> Yeah, because I just wonder, like, sometimes with the awkwardness. I mean, like, for myself, you know, I'm heterosexual male. I mean, I've been told it from time to time, you know. I mean, uh, maybe it might feel – I mean, I think, like, I, I probably – it feels awkward to me because I think I would feel awkward even if it was a female uh, right. from time to time. So, I mean, I guess I appreciate it, right? 
I yeah, remember. I, mean, a, yeah, like I, I think I told you guys a story. I mean, I had a transvestite at a, yes. uh, uh, the v- Greenwich mm-hmm. Village ha- Halloween parade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell me that. But I, I recognized that the person was a transvestite, but I was cool about it. You know, I was like, all right. But um, I don't think not everyone is cool about it. And I, I, I guess that's the point I'm getting to. So anyway, Stefan, what about you? Unfortunately, it's uh, yeah, I mean, I um, it never bothers me if someone of the opposite sex says I'm attractive. It's one thing, you know, you can say someone's attractive and not imply like you want to sleep with them. Right. That's true. Yeah. And that's that to me, it's like, OK, you know, cool. Thank you. You know, it's I'm flattered. I mean, you know you notice, even if you're not attracted to the same sex or the opposite sex, you notice if people that, you know, you're not attracted to personally, you'll notice if they're attractive or not. You still notice that. And yeah, I mean, whatever. For the record, I think both of you are very attractive. (laughs) Well, thank you. Well, thanks, man. But, but, you know, one thing I will say is, you know, the way that Mandy, and I see Stefan, you brought up a good point. The way that Mandy says that to Peg, I, I think almost implied that, you know, she, like if Peg was a single woman, Mandy would definitely want to sleep with her. Yeah. And I, I kind of think Peg made, you know, they never talk, you know, like they imply Marcy is bisexual in the show. They've never really done that with Peg. And you wonder with how Peg reacted, maybe, maybe she would too. I, I mean, I think really what it is, is in, in the case of Peg, Peg doesn't get the type of attention that she wants from Al. So anytime mm-hmm. she gets any kind of attention, she loves it because that's what she feeds off of. Right. And we've seen that throughout the series where it's like, um, uh, even when she's like in, uh, in Route 666, you know, remember she says, hey, you know, Al, like the rubes think I'm sexy, right? Yeah. <laughs> remember, like, like she's hot, like, you know, she's like uh, frumping up her hair. You know, and uh, Al says, it's like, I would too if I drank whiskey for breakfast, you know. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? It's like Al never compliments her. Right. You know, right. I mean, all, I guess the only time we did see it, like, for example, in this season in Crimes Against Obesity, after Al spent the whole day, you know, being put on trial by the overweight women, it's like all of a sudden it's like he sees Peg come in and then he's turned on. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I sort of get that. We end the episode with Kelly excitedly telling Alan Pegg that Lucky's no longer depressed. Hey, guess what? Lucky's not depressed anymore. Found a little friend in the park. His name's Spike. I think they're in love. (laughs) So, in comes this bulldog <laughs> who's uh, dressed up like the biker, I guess, from the village people. Mm-hmm. I never realized that's what the, yeah, that's what they were going for. I thought it was more like the leather kink. I've been watching the, the new season of uh, American horror story, which is like all about that with, with my mother. Funny enough. <laughs> She's like, okay. actually wants to, she loves American horror story like myself. And it's just cool that she, you know, wants to watch that. Yeah. Anyways, sorry. So, yeah. Well, anyway, so, like, you know, so we find out the dog's name is Spike. So, two male dogs. And Pelly says, I think they're in love. And we cut to Al cringing at the camera. Which is almost similar to, like, when the end of the dance show. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I mean, like, he's gone through this whole thing. It's like, he looks like he's an evolved character, but, like, he still cringes. 
I mean, I guess the only thing that to me it's out of character with Lucky is that Lucky's a reincarnation of Buck. Mm-hmm. And Buck knocked up every bitch in the neighborhood, according to one episode, right? I mean, he's the horn dog of a dog. And so you would expect him to have been the same dog, just reincarnated. So, yeah. you know, out of character. But I understand, again, continuity be damned. They just needed to make a joke here. Right. And with that, the episode falls flat. Anyway, let's get to our reviews. And we'll be right back. No, ma'am. We'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to channels and search up Married with Children podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. And we're back. So, Chris, how many times do you want to play Keep Away with Marcy's undershirt for this episode? <laughs> well, those of you who know me and listen to me uh, you know, every week or every third week or what have you know that I'm normally pretty critical of season 11. It's certainly not my favorite. However, I actually do kind of enjoy this episode. You know, I don't think it's a masterpiece or, or great, you know, or anything like that. I don't love it, but I do enjoy it. I, I've kind of sprinkled in my thoughts throughout the you know, last hour and a half. And I, uh, I feel like the idea and the concept was very good. Just the delivery kind of uh, missed the mark. You know, it, it does have some of the same problems that, uh, the majority of season 11 has with the writing being really corny and really goofy. <laughs> so the delivery turns out corny and goofy, but um, I thought Amanda Bierce did a great job playing, uh, you know, Marcy and Mandy. You know, I know that's never easy to play two characters in one episode, especially when the two characters are very different. Uh, so I give her an A plus there. And uh, I like the ideas that they, they were trying to show, you know, you have, you have Jefferson, who's has his fantasies, I guess you could say, about Mandy. You have Al, who's curious, you know, you know how 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 is it possible she's not attracted to me, you know, that type of thing. You have Peg, who hates her at first, but then she likes her once she finds out she's attractive. And then, uh, you know, you have Marcy, who hates her because she stole all of her boyfriends as a kid, and then she finds out she doesn't even really want them. <laughs> so I did enjoy the episode. The things that are keeping me from giving it, um, you know, a four or a five or, you know, the B plot was not very good at all. The writing was corny and, and it co- sort of missed the mark. But I did enjoy this episode, especially by season 11 standards. So I'm going to give it a three out of five. Okay. Very good. So, Stefan, how many times do you want to play Keep Away with Marcy's undershirt for this episode? I'm going to play with it three and a half times i uh i chris to echo a lot of your sentiments i thought this was yeah a strong episode for season 11 this late in the show the effects maybe weren't great but they were you know the best they could work with at the time and the budget they had i thought amanda bierce did a great job playing another character where you you could tell it wasn't you know i i bought it was a different person not just marcy in a wig you know i, I will say yeah the the B plot really 
prevented me from liking this show more. Yeah, you know, I thought I thought at the time for what they what visibility was in 1997, I thought this did a pretty good job of that. Uh, and yeah, those are my thoughts. Okay. All right. So for this episode. I mean, I don't have much more to say than what either of you have said, and I've sort of let my thoughts known as we went along in this episode. I've said what some of the negatives that I don't like about the episode. I will echo some of the positives that I said. I did like the fact that, you know, you really don't have too many episodes between Al and Marcy and them really commiserating with each other. So the fact that they worked really well together... And the fact that it was really Ed O'Neill and Amanda Burst for most of the episode and how well they played their scenes together and really showed us their talent, they get kudos. And they actually, I'm giving the episode half a point more than what I had originally thought. But, you know, as I've echoed from the beginning of this episode, content is good. It just seems like more of a typical sitcom to me. They did go back to, I mean, an, a typical sitcom with the typical tropes. But they did handle a very sensitive topic very well. But generally, it's not characteristic of Married with Children. I would have expected this on Ellen. I would have expected it on Friends. I would have expected it on dozens of other sitcoms the way it was handled. When it comes to LGBTQ... Stefan, help me out here. LGBTQ. That's right. And by the way, no, you could not have expected this on Friends with what they... Well, I guess they, they did one good episode, but others were not. Right. <laughs> yeah. But when it comes to LGBTQ+, I feel like the the dance show was the masterpiece when it comes to, like, you know, how they handled it from a comedy perspective. Here, they, they were trying to give a message. And it's the same thing that they did with Birthday Boy Toy last week. You know, they're trying to project a message of accepting you for who you are. And... That's generally not the way Married with Children works. Married with Children, usually the formula works is that there is some epic fail of Al Bundy's where it all comes crashing down at the end, right? So no matter how much Al tries, there is some kind of a failure that's done in in, in a comedic opera format, you know? Because I mean, that, that to me, what it is? It's comedic grand opera, right? And for that... I'm not really a fan of this episode. If it's on, I'll watch it, but it's not something I'm going to like want to seek out. I'm not, it's not belly laughs for me. So I'm going to give this episode a two and a half. Fair. So Stefan, I want to thank you again for joining Chris and I. Uh, this is the last time you'll join us. And believe it or not, for all of you podcast listeners out there, we only have a few weeks left on the Married with Children podcast. We expect, in terms of the schedule, to wrap up the show around the end of December. Our final episode may not air until early January. We'll have more information in the coming weeks, uh, as well as our season wrap-up show and series wrap-up show. Uh, We may have one or two bonus episodes planned afterwards, but we, unfortunately, we've hit the end (laughs) of Mm -hmm. uh, the Married with Children podcast. We've reviewed 259 episodes. We will have reviewed, you know, done a handful of uh, interviews, handful of bonus episodes. Uh, you know, in the coming years, you'll have approximately maybe 300 
podcast episodes you can catch on your streaming platforms that you can listen to and listen back on. So we uh, we thank you for having listened. And Stefan, you've been great. You've been with us now for, what, two, three seasons on and off? Uh, two. The middle two. of season 10. Yeah, so thank you for your insights. And again, just uh, keep tuning in. Next week on the Married with Children podcast, we will have what was billed as the season and series finale of Married with Children. Or was it? Team Aerosmith is joined by our Australian queen in the review of The Desperate Half Hour. Al is kicking Peg and the kids out of the house so he can watch Death Wish 6 3D in privacy on pay-per-view. But Bud also needs the house for himself. His pen pal Starla is getting out of prison and is coming to see him. Unfortunately, Starla decides to rob the Bundys at gunpoint. It turns out that she has escaped and is on the run, so she ends up holding the Bundys hostage. Starla also has a dim-witted boyfriend to whom Kelly becomes attracted to and the feeling is mutual. Then the Darcys, who are about to leave on a charity masquerade cruise, barge in and end up hostages as well. So you're not going to want to miss this review and the following review entitled How to Marry a Moron. So tune in again next week. As always, same Bundy time, same Bundy channel. Here's Kathy, who's lived most everywhere, from Zanzibar to Barclay Square. But Patty's only seen the sights a girl can see from Brooklyn Heights. What a crazy pair! But they're cousins, identical cousins, and you'll find they laugh alike, they walk alike, at times they even talk alike.